Our scripture reading is from several places this morning. Uh, the first passage is from Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 13, and then 26 through 31. Then I'll go to Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 21, and then I'll return to Luke chapter 2, 8 through 14. Luke chapter 1. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. Now I'm going to skip to verse 26. In the sixth month, that's Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with the child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now from Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the angel had said through the prophet, what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And then from Luke again. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Well, today we lit the 
angel candle on the Advent wreath. It reminded us that the angels play a prominent role in the Christmas story. Now, I knew that the angel candle would be lit today. So a few weeks ago, when a church member had said to me, you know, I've never heard a teaching or a sermon about angels, I thought, well, I could do that on this day. And then while I was thinking about that, I went to a choir Christmas party and sat next to John Grissom, who teaches a theology at Trinity High School, and he was saying that he was just teaching the class on angels. So we started to share notes, you know, and pretty, I came home from a Christmas party um, uh, with an outline for today's sermon. So today I'm going to uh, give you that teaching. So we're going to talk about the role that the angels play in the Christmas story. We'll talk about who the angels are. We'll talk about what they do. And then we'll uh, talk about what they have to do with us. Well, first off, angels play a prominent role in the Christmas story. The angel Gabriel announced to uh, Zechariah that Elizabeth would conceive and bear a son and that he was to name him John. And then six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, that same angel Gabriel appears to Mary and says that she will conceive a, a son by the Holy Spirit and she's to name him Jesus. When Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he knew it wasn't his. He was going to divorce her quietly, but Joseph had a dream. An angel appeared to him and said that what's conceived in Mary is of the Holy Spirit, and he named this baby Jesus. When the baby is born, angels appear to the shepherds and announce the Savior's birth, and then a whole company of angels uh, join that one angel in singing glory to God in the highest. Now, we usually think of those angels as uh, you know, little girls dressed up in Christmas pageants, or imagine an angel that might be on top of your Christmas tree. It looks kind of frilly. But that word host means army. And so it was an army of angels that sang glory to God in the highest. Those angels more resembled the Marine Corps choir than uh, the little girls we see at Christmas pageants. When King Herod wanted to kill the male children of Bethlehem, an angel appeared to Joseph and told him to take the mother and the child to Egypt. And when Herod died, an angel appeared to Joseph again and told him that it was safe to return home. And so angels play a prominent role in the Christmas story. Now, I was thinking... Why all these angels at that period of time? And I thought, you know, God's people did not have the Holy Spirit yet. So it's not as if God could talk to their spirits. But he had a lot of communicating to do. These people had to follow his instructions exactly. And so angels were sent to them. But who are the angels, really? Because the scriptural teaching does not always fit our stereotypes. Now, angels are created as angels. Humans do not die and become angels, which is not like that movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Angels are angels, humans are humans, and humans don't become angels. We think of angels as having wings. Remember, Clarence and It's a Wonderful Life has to earn his wings. Well, not all angels have 
wings. Now, they appear often as humans. They're described often as young men whose faces and clothes radiate with light, and when people see them, they are afraid. Angels are spirits. They live in the spiritual realm, and so we do not normally see into the spiritual realm, although they can take physical form. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, we read this. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So angels are spirits. They're part of the unseen world. And when we recite the Nicene Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, those invisible things are angels and, and demons. So angels are spirits who are commanded by God to help those who will inherit salvation. Notice the phrase, who will inherit salvation. So that means angels are assigned to people even before they come to faith, to guard them, to protect them, so that they indeed come to faith in Jesus Christ. And of course, after we are saved, angels continue to look out for us. God commands them concerning us to keep us from dying before our time or experiencing something that might devastate our faith. We read examples of angels in several places of Scripture helping people. In Genesis chapter 19, two angels are sent to the city of Sodom to retrieve Lot, his wife, and his family. While they are there, the people, uh, the men in that city want to attack them, and so the angels actually have to strike these men blind in order to get Lot and his family out of Sodom. In Luke chapter 22, we read about Jesus praying in anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then we are told that an angel appeared and ministered to him and strengthened him. In the book of Acts, we read in chapter 5 and in chapter 12, two different occasions where Peter is broken out of jail by an angel. And then in the book of Acts, we read about an angel coming to a Roman centurion named Cornelius. And Cornelius is told by the angel, uh, send for a man named Peter. He actually gives him the address. And then Peter comes and shares with Cornelius the gospel. Angels are also assigned to children. Matthew chapter 18. See that you do not look down on any one of these little children, Jesus said. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. That means the angels that are assigned to children have access to the Father. And so it appears that angels watch over children. And when you can think of all the ways your kids could kill themselves when they're little kids, angels are watching out for them. Now, along with angels ministering to people, they also minister to God, mainly through worship. In the book of Revelation, we read this in chapter 5, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. That's a lot of angels. And they 
encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And so there are angels who are constantly worshiping God. The angels also carry out God's judgments. When the angels came to Lot in the city of Sodom, the angels said, we have been sent here to destroy the city. In the book of Exodus, it's the angel of death that strikes Egypt with that last plague on the firstborn. When you read the book of Revelation and plagues and judgments are poured on the earth, all of those are done by angels. Now, not all angels are the same. There are different kinds of angels, and they're not usually how we picture them. So I'm going to name a type of angel, and you tell me what picture comes to your mind. Cherub. What do you think of? A baby with cute little cheeks, little wings? Okay. Here's what scripture says about cherubs. A cherub was placed at the entrance of the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword to keep Adam and Eve from entering again. That's not usually the picture of a cherub we think about. Uh, The cover of the Ark of the Covenant had two cherubs with their wings extended upwards. In that case, cherubs do have wings. Ezekiel describes what he calls a cherub in chapter 10. He said, this cherub had four sets of wings and four faces, a face of a man, a face of an eagle, a face of a lion, and the face of an ox. And their entire bodies, including their backs, their hands, their arms, and their wings were completely full of eyes. So the next time someone says to you, have the face of a cherub. They're not complimenting you. (laughs) There's another kind of angel. It's called seraphim. It means fiery ones. And these are described in Isaiah chapter 6 as being near the throne of God. They are on fire. They're aflame because they're so close to the proximity of God. They have three sets of wings. With one set, they cover their feet, which is a gesture of humility. With another set, they cover their eyes. Not even they can look directly at the holiness of God. And with another set, they fly, and they're constantly shouting out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We actually sing about these types of angels in that hymn, holy, holy, holy cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee. Some angels fight demonic powers. In Daniel chapter 10, an angel brings Daniel a message from the Lord. It's an interpretation of a dream. And the angel says to Daniel, Daniel, as soon as you prayed, God heard your prayer and he sent me with the interpretation. But I was delayed 21 days because the prince of Persia opposed me. The prince of Persia was a demonic power that had influence over the Persian empire. 
And then after the angel delivers his message to Daniel, he says to Daniel, now I'm going to go back and fight the prince of Persia. In the book of Revelation, chapter 12, we read of a battle that took place in heaven. Someplace, sometime after the creation of the earth, but before the creation of man. There was an archangel in heaven named Lucifer, who thought, hmm, I want to be like God. And so he convinced a third of the angels to follow him in a rebellion against God. And so there was a battle in heaven that took place. And Michael, the archangel, took on Lucifer, who was an archangel. And the result of that battle was that Lucifer and a third of the angels were defeated, and they were cast down to earth. Those angels, those fallen angels, became what we know as demons. And Lucifer became known as the adversary, or Satan. Now, other angels look like men when they appear. There were angels that met with Abraham. They looked like men. There were angels that went to retrieve Lot. They looked like men. There was an angel that appeared to Manoah, the father of Samson. He looked like a, a glorified man. And Luke, in describing the resurrection scene, said there were two men at the empty tomb whose clothes uh, gleamed like lightning. John describes the same scene, but says that those two men were angels. There's also scriptural evidence that angels usher in the redeemed into the presence of God. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 16, verse 22, about a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. He says, when Lazarus died, the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And there have been a few times when I have visited people on their deathbeds, and when they are near death, they have said, I see angels. Now, what does this talk about angels have to do with us? Well, first of all, it tells us that God cares for us, and he commands his angels concerning us. They not only protect and serve the elect, but they also serve those who will inherit salvation. God knows who his people are before they ever commit their lives to Christ. And since he knows who they are, they are the angels are ordered to preserve their lives until they come to faith in Christ. Angels have been active in our lives without us knowing it. We have been spared from death or from some faith-shattering event by the intervention of angels because God loves us and cares for us. Now, that being said, we are not protected from all things. There comes a time for us to suffer there comes a time for us to die. Peter, he was in jail and he was broken out of jail twice by an angel. But there was a time when Peter was arrested and he was whipped for his faith. 
God allowed that to happen. And Peter said, I praise God that I was counted worthy to suffer for Christ. And then when Peter was in Rome, he was arrested, and then he was crucified upside down. Why didn't angels come and intervene then? It was because it was Peter's time to come home. His purposes had been fulfilled. Angels do not protect us from everything. They're not supposed to. But they protect us sufficiently until we have fulfilled God's purpose for us on the earth. The existence of angels should also inspire us to be kind towards strangers. The book of Hebrews writes, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. So if we thought we might be entertaining angels, would that help us be more kind to strangers? That new person who we've never seen before at church? Maybe we should be kind to them. It could be an angel. Or that poor person who's looking for help. Or that person we share the gospel with. The writer of Hebrews says, you know, we entertain angels without knowing it. It calls for us to be kind to strangers. Since angels are assigned to us, they know what we do. They know what we say but we are not to pray to them. St. Paul had to write a letter to the church in Colossae because the people in that church were starting to communicate with angels thinking that they were mediators between them and God. And Paul says, no, you have a mediator between God and man, and that is his son, Jesus Christ. Another thing we learn from angels is that these who live in God's presence cannot help but worship him. Throughout scripture we read about the angels or the heavenly host praising God with either shouting or with singing. And they worship him like this even though they are not recipients of grace. The angels are not shown grace. They either obey God, or if they rebelled against God, they are condemned. The fallen angels are not redeemed. They don't receive mercy. They don't receive grace. They will be consumed in the lake of fire to the glory of God's justice. But humankind, God has made a way of salvation for them because he will save them for the praise of his glorious grace. We who know Christ have been saved for the purpose of God receiving from us praise for his glorious grace. So we have reason to out-worship the angels. Never let your worship 
slip into the mere mouthing of words or going through the motions. Picture the angels and then remember you have reason to out-worship them because you and not they will praise God forever for his wonderful, amazing grace. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the grace shown to us. We worship you. We thank you, Lord, that you have preserved our lives till the time that we can say you are our Savior and our Lord. Thank you that you gave your angels charge concerning us. We thank you, Lord, that we have eternal life and that your angels will see us home. So for these gifts of grace, we are grateful and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.